I'd like to welcome Frank Grief, the CEO of RealBase, the podcast. RealBase is the largest campaign management platform in Australia and New Zealand. And we're also joined by special guest, Josh Vegan, an internationally renowned speaker, trainer, and coach for high-performance real estate agents. Welcome back to the PropTech Insider podcast, Josh and Frank. We're going to be having a, a really interesting conversation today, and I think this is one that's particularly very topical within the real estate industry at the moment. We have over 350 prop tech companies now in the space. The conversation's based around how do we embrace change and some of the ways to overcome the obstacles that when we're faced with uncertainty. Josh, I'm going to throw over to you first. You've been working in the real estate industry and inherently there's a huge level of uncertainty around what is my role going to be in the transaction in the future? What are the challenges I've got inside of my business today? How is that going to play out into the future? What are some of the ways that people can be thinking about embracing change and adapting to get past that next 12 months and be thinking about their business you know, five to 10 years down the track? Angus, it's a great question. And um, ultimately, the US Army came out with this thing called a VUCA world in about 1987. And they had this whole conversation around what we call something that's volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And at the time when I first heard it, maybe 10 years ago, I didn't really think too much about it, but I now think about it on a daily basis that, you know, when something happens, do we live in a world that's volatile? Absolutely. Do we live in a world that's uncertain? Without a doubt. Is there a high level of complexity to the things that we do these days? Absolutely. And is there more ambiguity about what can and can't go on? Absolutely. And so the interesting conversation is, is that now when something happens or change happens inside of the world, I just think, okay, great. Well, that's normal because it's volatile or it's uncertain or it's complex or ambiguous. And so really what you've got to start thinking about is that, you know, change is the only constant. And there's the great quote by, you know, Eric Shinseki that if you don't like change, you're going to like irrelevance even less. And so ultimately, as a business leader, you know, what you've got to start thinking about, and if you're going to be a successful human in the world going forward, is that we now live in a world where, you know, something happens in the butterfly effect in a completely different part of the world that all of a sudden has a massive impact somewhere else in the world in under a couple of minutes. And that's because of the connectivity of the world and what we've done in terms of social environments and digital communications, right the way through to actually how we go and communicate. And what we do as people is that ultimately we're now absorbing so many different things and it's really easy to be overwhelmed at what actually happens inside of your environment. Change is a really interesting thing that people hate change when it happens to them, but they love change when they're a part of it. Now, there's a really interesting component to that because you know what actually is an effective change formula? Now, there's a guy by the name of Ari Weinsvig, and he came up with a book called Bottom Line Change. And in that, he spoke a lot about that when change happens the most effectively, the first key thing is that there has to be a high level of dissatisfaction. If you've got a high level of dissatisfaction, the other key thing that is also possible is that maybe you see a vision of something that you actually want. So if there's dissatisfaction combined with vision and then the preparedness to go and make more of the first steps happen, then ultimately that change will actually occur because it's going to be greater than any resistance that you will face. So inside of your organization, what you want to be thinking about is, is that, you know, are we changing for the better? Or are we changing for the good of, of, the, of, of the overall organization, ultimately for our customers? And what are we doing to actually make sure that we impact and we affect change in a really powerful way? Now, we operate, Angus, under a thing that we got to call the five steps to change. And the first key thing is about, number one, getting really clear about the purpose. So what is the problem that we're actually trying to solve? If we get really clear about the problem that we're trying to solve, it changes everything because that then goes into the next component about um, getting positive vision for the future and alignment amongst the stakeholders around what success actually looks like. So we've got clarity about the problem. Now we've got clarity about what the solution would look like. We then move into who would actually be impacted by this particular change. So that could be our frontline receptionist, our administration operation people, our salespeople, our you know future business owners, directors, you name it. And once we get clear about who's going to be impacted by the change, we invite those people in to then actually go and help us to build the action plan about how we'd go and implement that particular change. 
you know, what would be the stakeholders? What are the key things that we've got to have a look at? What technology items would we need to, you know, tick off and approve? Once we've got all of those action items, then we actually go and do and we begin the change. The greatest challenge that we have inside of organizations is that they're fixing problems that aren't actually really problems. They're fixing the symptoms of the problem. And what they've got to do is they've got to get back to getting that real clarity about what is the real problem that is actually worthwhile solving here. And this was an interesting one. Um, For example, we did some work with Toyota um, a few years ago back over in Tokyo. And one of the things that they would say is that, you know, the whole challenge is that everyone thought that um, they had to get cars with better brakes. But the reality of it is that the problem that they could solve was just put airbags inside of the cars and they didn't have to worry about the brakes anymore, right? So it's one of those things that's like, literally, you've got to get really clear about what the problem is. And what they learn in Toyota is, is that most people spend about a minute in like defining the problem. And then they ultimately spend the rest of their lifetime trying to put in a solution that doesn't actually fix the real problem. It just fixes the symptom, which they had identified as the problem. And what Toyota actually really does is they say, no, let's actually spend more time about getting real clarity about what the actual problem is. And then let's spend about a minute putting in a solution that gets a result. So I look at real estate agencies everywhere I go. They say, look, you know, we don't have enough sellers. We don't have enough people that want to do a transaction. What do we do? But yet they might have a phenomenal property management rent roll of a thousand landlords and they've never gone to those landlords to give them an idea on what their principal place of residence is worth. Now, to me, the way that you grow a great business is you unlock the value inside of your existing customer base. So the problem that I would solve there is how do I get my existing customers to do more transactions with me? So if I rang up those thousand landlords, could I get 10% of them to buy an investment property? There's 100 sales and 100 new managements. Could I get 10% of my landlords to sell their existing principal place of residence? Bang, there's another 100 sales that I could go to make and potentially they're going to go and buy one. So there's maybe another 50 to 100 that we could do there. And before you know it, I'm like turning two, possibly 300 transactions out of our property management landlord database each and every year. And that is something that's completely unlocked inside of the industry. And I talk about these big ideas, but then I have someone come back the next day and they say, oh, hey, Josh, you know, quick question. I'm, I'm going to put out a DL next week. Any good ideas on what should be on the DL? And that's where the great challenge is, is that literally, are we really working on the right problems? And if we want to make effective change inside of organization, then it's important that we've actually got consistency about how we handle that change management process. If we do that, we've got a phenomenal business in the way that we go to operate because everyone inside the organization feels very confident with the way that we actually handle change and what we actually do as an organization to drive future change for future value. One of the things with innovation, Josh, that you and I have spoken about before is sometimes you go to the customer and you get asked some questions about what they need next and that's not always the right thing for you to deliver as well. I think there's a Henry Ford quote that says, if I asked my customers what they would have wanted, they would have said faster horses and we probably ne- never had cars. That was to, the, to your point around Toyota before. I think one of the things that we're, we're trying to identify is what are the key gaps inside of this industry that don't exist today that we can actually help to produce for customers? And I think the real base provides a big part of that, particularly into fitting into the fold of innovation and things that weren't in existence before you know, Realbase came on with products like Engage. When they went out to a listing presentation, they'd take out a booklet, they'd print off a whole bunch of paper, basically cut down a whole bunch of trees. And now what actually Engage can do is track those people, do it in a digital and more personalized approach to how they do it. But that's not really where you obviously started, Frank. You know, thinking back to when you founded RealHub, tell us about some of the unexpected changes that you occurred where you had to kind of pivot through your business and make some big changes inside of your organization. Um, as you scaled up to where you are today. 
it's an interesting one, right? When you said that, and, and a couple of things that Josh touched on there, uh, you know, resonated with me a lot, especially that comment about the, you know, what do I put on my DL? I feel like, you know, the, the number of times I've heard that one in my life. <laughs> um, but with regards to, you know, the change in our business, look, the reality is like, you know, we touched on the last podcast, we started uh, in, the, in the lounge room and we, you know, during the time of our business, we'd moved factories and facilities five times. We've merged, you know, with a, with a counterpart. So some of the big changes that, you know, we went through is you know in the beginning you know we used to just say you know we're just making it up and one of the, I think our key strengths was we have this you know we we don't let perfection get in the way of progress and that's probably one of my big things that I you know I try and to stress for our clients is is you know sometimes if you can find a solution and you can find something that can give you 70 80 percent better than what you're doing today is don't try and you know spend too much time fixating on that last 20 percent and you end up spending a year or two trying to find the ultimate solution when you can update, change, and pivot quickly. So because our business is based on the idea of its software, it changes every single Thursday night at 6 p.m. We try to take that same stance in, in, our, in our own business that we do for our clients, which is what we are today is gonna to be very different to what we are gonna be in 12 months, which is gonna be incredibly different to 24 months. So let's not get too fixated on the change as we go along. We're gonna make mistakes and we start to move and migrate and, and update along the way. So one of the key pivotal moments in our business when you know we went through a huge amount of change was we went from a company that was very very uh, physical you know we were doing signboards and brochure printing to a company that then turned into a software company that scaled across you know all of Australia and New Zealand so our one of our biggest moments of change was that leap off when we altered our brand and when we built software that we realized was far bigger and greater than us so I think. For me, it was adding additional team members who, you know, you can kind of let go from what you're doing day to day and 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 try and impart that knowledge onto them to help you grow and, and scale. And so throughout the whole business, though, you know, there's been many, many moments of, of change. And so I think, you know, when you think about us, Gus, and, and what we do and what we offer for our clients is we're essentially advocates for change. Like when we put our tools and our software in for businesses, we are often making fundamental changes to their workflow. So we have to be very conscious of that ourselves, right? And we kind of have to you know, have that in our own business so that therefore we practice what we preach for our clients too. And that, I think particularly around the point that you made before, there's a Reid Hoffman quote that's if you're not embarrassed by your MVP when you release it, then you've launched too late, which yeah. is probably to your point around perfection and not getting letting that get in the way of progress. Because ultimately, whatever you think and you hypothesize is going to be completely different because the businesses that we operate in is human to human. And there's also always going to be multiple variables and we can never allow for everything up front. But the key to it is for both, both our businesses collectively now is how do you iterate fast to just keep pace with the customer's needs. And a bit, uh, the next question kind of leads into that a little bit, which is around um, you know, digitization of the real estate sector. As I touched on at the very beginning, there's over 355 prop tech companies now in Australia. It's really hard to determine what's a good part for your business, technology, and what's, what's not. And actually, what's going to 10x your business, what's going to 5x your business, and what's actually just going to cause you another cost inside of your business, whether your agents or your customers, if you're the principal, don't actually adopt it and don't use it. I'm going to ask this question of both of you, but I might throw to you first, Feeds, around when you're talking to a business owner or a franchise or a CEO, how do you set up the conversation around what are the next requirements or needs 
for the next piece of technology or the next solution or service that they need to look to go and bring into their business. It all starts with getting real clarity about how you plan to deliver on customer experience. And you know, at the end of the day, a real estate agent, um, there can only be one that's going to be the cheapest in every market. If your real estate agency is not planning on being the cheapest, then how are you planning on winning? And the way that you plan to win is you actually go and design a customer experience. And that customer experience is designed, whether or not you're staying at the cheapest hotel or the most expensive hotel, wherever you're going on holidays, they have a different set of experiences around it. And this is the whole challenge is, is that, you know, when we see real estate agents that are dealing with issues around fees and how they separate and differentiate compared to their competitors, they all pretend like they know what their competitors do. Where the reality of it is, is that they've probably never ever used their competitor to sell a house or to lease out a property. And so they don't actually know what the customer experience is really like sitting inside of those brands. And this is where what we've got to do is we've got to get really smart about what is actually the experience that we want to design and then how do we actually use technology to scale that experience to remove human error, but most importantly, to be able to allow us to be able to get to more customers more often in more markets. And so when I'm working with the CEO, I say, okay, great, let's get to that clarity about what's the first problem that we're actually trying to solve and how does it work with our existing technology stack? And so we've got to have some decision rules that are going to be really important. So Angus, when we were building out our business, we would say, okay, um, two decision rules that are really simple. Number one, it doesn't actually have an iOS app because it really needed to connect with what we're using because we use Apple in all of our phones. We want to make sure that we can control and run that from there. Secondary part, does it actually connect back into our CRM? And does it connect into our communications tool? We use something like Slack as an example inside of the business. And so if it connects in with both of those, then we can actually see that it's actually doing real-time data to our one true source of where our customers sit. And at the same time too, it's actually providing real-time communications to our internal team in how we go to deliver the service experience. If you can get those things together, then it makes a huge difference when the CEO is actually making the decision to say, okay, what are actually the problems that are really going to go and solve it and change the entire way the business works? Now, Angus, you've heard me speak about this a couple of times before, but there's a fantastic McKinsey & Co. company study about what actually happened at Maccas during the course of the pandemic. Now, I don't know about you, I didn't really think about Maccas during the pandemic, but a lot of people did. And what actually happened to them is that you couldn't have in-room dining. They had huge problems with drive-through because there was too many cars lining up and they couldn't get people through and they were just driving somewhere else. And overnight, the government mandated that every restaurant in the area had to do takeaway. And so all of a sudden, they had 50 competitors in each marketplace they operated in overnight. And so all of a sudden they thought, well, how do we actually go to get this right? And so what Maccas did is that they drove this strategy to move to 100% digital ordering off app or off like a big iPad type device inside of in-store. They moved into a conversation around better quality drive-through experiences where they took 50% of their car park and made those as parking locations for where the meal would be brought out to them so they could get more people through the ordering process. And they then moved into what we go to call a better quality delivery when they partnered with things like Uber and the above for the delivery of that food. An interesting conversation, they started building black box stores in America, which were McDonald's stores that had no branding on them whatsoever, but literally had eight lanes for delivery to be able to get more cars through in a much faster way. Now, this is a really interesting conversation because they then shifted McDonald's value from a billion to a $4 billion business in revenue in that delivery business in the course of 12 months. So when a CEO comes to me and says, okay, great, Josh, what problems are we trying to solve? I really need to know what that actually looks like. Are we trying to reduce days on market, which substantially increases throughput? So for example, if you can take 28 days down to 21 days to averagely sell a property, it's seven days, but seven over 28 is a 25% improvement in your efficiency in turning stock. Is it about a conversation to say, you know what, we want to increase margin? 
How to increase margin, we need to decrease cost structure. How do we decrease cost, cost structure? We improve efficiency, productivity, and performance through the usage of technology and apps. If we then start to say, okay, great, what we actually want to do is we want to increase market share. Well, how are we going to go and do that? Well, we're going to actually find out where our customers already live. So we're going to do a data research project around what is the physical location of where landlords live, and let's go and give them an idea on what their property is worth so we don't have to do any outbound marketing to actually generate the lead that's already sitting directly inside of the firm. So the skill is to get real clarity about what are the specific three things that you're going to do this year that is going to drive the overall value for the business. And this gets you back into a position that you've got to start making what we got to call business decision principles. So when I work with a with a with the CEO of a business, the first thing I say is, okay, great. So what does success really look like? And they look at me a little bit weird. I'm like, okay, great. So what about things like, do we want to de-risk the business of a key person? Do we want to drive recurring revenue and ultimately get recurring revenue to be above recurring expenses? So then you hit recurring profit. Do we want to drive saleable value of the business? In addition to that, do we want to grow in markets, market share and people? And then in addition to that, do we want to be in a position that we can actually make it a fun and exciting environment? They go, well, Josh, I like all of those five things. I say, okay, great. Well, now we make decisions using those decision principles. And if it doesn't tick all those boxes, then we don't do it. So should we buy an ice cream truck? Well, I don't know. Um, Martin Cooper does a very good job of that over at Cooper & Co. in Auckland. He's got an ice cream truck that he drives around all the local schools. It's a great community initiative. It does really well. And he's got a very, very successful business in that marketplace. But for me in a small agency, that's probably not the thing that I'm going to do because does it drive sellable value? Does it drive recurring revenue? Yeah, that doesn't do any of those things. But is it fun and exciting? Well, maybe depending on what ice cream you're serving, right? But the interesting thing is, is that you know buying a property management business, it's going to tick all of those boxes straight away. It'll drive recurring revenue. It'll de-risk the business. It'll make those things happen. So it's always about understanding what are we actually trying to build and what are we trying to create? And then how do we use technology in order to be able to go and scale that? And I think that what the big problem has been, Angus, is that a lot of people have jumped at technology because it was available, but they didn't actually really understand what it was actually doing in terms of the delivery of the customer experience. And if you can actually be in a position that you get really clear about your path of how you define the experience delivery for the customer, it will change in a really powerful way how you're actually perceived in market. And this is the interesting thing is, is that it's not about fee. There are people lining up at Louis Vuitton, Chanel, Dior, and they're paying huge money for things that are way overpriced because they fundamentally believe in the experience that comes with that and the elitism that's actually gained by that. So what we need to do as an industry is actually start you know, differentiating in a really powerful way that the technology is there to deliver different experiences, moments of wow, and to push people through the happy, anxious, and sad moments of the transaction to get them to the happy moment of that soul sticker being applied on the board. And a hard act to follow, Frank, but um, just throw to you, it's obviously a very different perspective in the way that you approach it because you're on the other side. You're a technologist trying to educate people about a problem that have got inside of the business and how you serve and find a solution for that. What's your perspective on it? It's exactly that. And it is actually quite similar to, to Josh's. Of course, we have a series of, of tools that we have in market. So we know the exact problem that we're trying to solve, right? But the way I instruct our sales team is the reality is not every one of our tools is going to be right for every one of our customers. So before we go out to, you know, go do a hard pitch for 30 minutes to find, you know, sell our thing, it's really, it's asking those questions around that particular business and finding out what are the solutions that are going to be right. So for example, you have a, a business that that's doing 400 transactions a year. They have one marketing person who's currently, you know, experiencing, you know, near mental breakdown. The solution for them is going to be we need to put a marketing piece of software in place like Real Hub for your business so that, you know, using one person, you can have more and better scale. So it really comes down to asking those right questions for us to find out what are the problems in their business and then therefore putting in the solutions that are going to you know, work for them. 
Well, guys, we're out of time, but thanks again for a really interesting and insightful conversation from both you around embracing change and overcoming obstacles for what our businesses need to look like in the next year, five years and 10. Thank you both. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to today's episode of PropTech Insider. If you'd like to learn more about Realbase and Agent Solutions, visit agentsolutions.com.au.